For uh, about a year now, I've had the great opportunity, and Ange as well with me, to watch the marvelous ways in which this church cares for one another. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that uh, what we have here is not common. It's not, it's not the regular experience of a church in our country. And for that, uh, you are to be very much commended. Uh, this is a church that loves one another. And this is good. And as we move forward, we want to make sure that, that this continues to be the heartbeat of who we are as a church. At the same time, the risk of being a church that is so free with its care for one another is that we can become so busy caring for people that maybe don't need as much care as we're giving as some others who might come along, maybe not today, maybe not this week, this month, or next year. And we do run the risk in being a very loving, caring family in Christ of burning ourselves out, giving when need is not absolute so that we won't be ready when need is necessary or care is necessary for that need. So what we're going to look at this morning are some biblical um, principles for us for helping us to understand when should we officially organize a care ministry and when should we allow for individual support networks to kick into place. Open your Bibles for me to 1 Timothy chapter 5. And as you're looking for your place, please stand. We're going to be reading from the Word of God, and again, we're looking for a principle in the text that helps to guide us to know when to give and when not to give, when to exercise our official care ministry and when not to, so that we can be ready to help those who have a real need. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 to 16. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God. And she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead, even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if... She is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. 
Besides that, they learned to be idlers going about from house to house. And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. These are the words of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do call us to love one another, to care for one another, to meet the needs of all so that there are none in our congregation, in our local church, who are in need. Thank you also that you've given us very clear direction for how we can distinguish between need and want. Uh, when we uh, can safely say that long-term support is not required and when sometimes it is. I pray that you would help us to build a care ministry here at South Shore that is based on your word. I pray these things. Trusting that you have provided everything that we need for life and godliness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we respond to the new life that has been given to us through the blood of his cross. By providing life for one another in our practical needs. Please glorify yourself this morning and build up us, your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, the instruction that we're going to look at, which you can read behind me, is, is this. that Instruction number 10, as given in 1 Timothy, is that we are to help those who cannot help themselves. And we have a very complicated text. You know, I might have titled this sermon, Yabot. Yeah, but, because what we're going to see is there is going to be a principle that we're going to hold on to, and this is a principle, and with this principle, we're going to have a lot of, yeah, but, what about, yeah, but, yeah, but, in this instance, yeah, but, there's, there's this time, yeah, but, what if this happens, and we can think about all of the exceptions to the rule. And so I understand that as we start out, and, and we don't have time to go through an exhaustive list of exceptions to, to the principle that we're going to look at. And, and what Paul has given to us here is not a list or a checklist for every possible scenario. He's given us one scenario, that is, how do you care for widows who cannot care for themselves? That is just one example, and underneath that example is the principle which is important for us at South Shore. So, in your discipleship groups, indulge yourselves and talk about all of the, yeah, but, what about, this could be, but please, don't lose sight of the biblical principle by chasing after all of the exceptions. Recognize that we have to come to every situation as an individual, unique situation that we have to evaluate with wisdom based on the biblical principles that God has given to us. 
And so while this cannot be a blanket statement about how we must proceed in every instance, it does give us uh, a very important principle that we will follow. Paul begins this section of the letter with a very simple command. Did you see it? In verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. That really flavors what we're going to see this morning. He starts with honor widows, and he could have kept it right there, couldn't he? But he clarifies, even in this original command, and the rest of the verses that we're going to look at sort of flesh out what this means. He says, but honor only those widows who are what he calls truly widows. Honor widows who are truly widows. In order to understand this command, we have to first understand what does the word honor mean? Honor has two main uh, meanings in, in this text. On the one hand, it means to to give reverence to, to pay respect to. So you honor someone if you respect who they are. And, and this is foundational in our interactions with one another. We must honor one another as bearers of God's image. And so in that sense, this isn't that different. But you can see someone who is in need sometimes doesn't get the same honor that every person ought to receive. And just check yourself. When you go maybe to Toronto or somewhere else and you see somebody panhandling, do you give them the honor that they're due as someone who bears the image of God? So, so in that sense, this is for all people, that even those who are in desperate need, we must honor them as those who bear the image of God. Now, the second part of the word honor, which is really the predominant uh, theme within this passage, is to be of material benefit to. And this could come in the form of, of money. It could come in the form of, of shelter. It could come in the form of, of food. It could come in the form of, of relational needs. But it's to be of some material benefit to the person that you are to honor. The emphasis here is on material support. So those who cannot literally feed themselves, those who cannot literally clothe themselves, those who cannot literally put shelter over their heads, these are the people that Paul has in mind. And before we go any further, I, I must emphasize here, as we're going through this, and this is where the first, yeah, but, might creep in. Paul is not thinking about the exhaustive life of the church here. He's thinking primarily about what we call the care ministry. The care ministry. That is, how are we supposed to care for one another? What is not in view in this text is missions. This is not a text about going out into the world and to be salt and light and to, to bear witness to the gospel out in the world. This is about how are we supposed to behave within the household of God. And so just keep that in mind. We're going to say some things as we go through that you might say, well, in a mission mindset, how does that make any sense? Well, this text is not about missions. It's about care. Care is internally focused. That doesn't mean we don't look outside. That's just not what we're talking about this morning. The second thing that this text is not about is about any kind of justice ministry. So, so we read earlier in the service from James 1.27, right? True religion is this, to care for orphans and widows. Orphans. 
we're going to see here there's a requirement for, uh, for the people we care for to already be a part of the household of God. What about those fatherless who are not yet a part of the church? Should we not worry about them? Well, you have to worry about them in order to bring them into the church. But this is not about justice ministries. This is not about the, 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 the sex slave market overseas. Should we care about that? Yes, we should. That's not what this text is about. That's what you might call a justice ministry or a missions ministry. This is about care ministry. This is how we are supposed to care for one another in the local church. And I think that distinction might help us a lot to sort of limit the, yeah, but, as we go through this text. In order to make sense then, moving forward, in order to make sense of this instruction that we are to, or this command that we are to honor widows who are truly widows, we have to ask, what is a true widow? Because Paul in verse 3 has made this clarification. Don't honor all widows, honor widows that are truly widows. Now, what do you think Paul has in mind here? Is Paul thinking about women who are lying about having been widowed? That's not what he's thinking about. He's talking about those widows who have need. Paul is talking about who are the true widows. Let's take a look at them. He lists four things for us. Skip verse 4 for a minute. and Just go to verse 5. We're going to come back to verse 4 almost immediately. So Paul in verse 5 defines what does he mean by a true widow. She who is truly a widow... He's going to list four things. Number one, has been left all alone. Number two, has set her hope on God. Number three, continues in supplications and prayers night and day. And then verse six, number four, she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So a true widow is not self-indulgent. Let's go through these things. This is how Paul has defined true widows. He says, I want you to provide for and care for true widows. What is a true widow, Paul? A true widow are these four things. Number one, a true widow is someone who has been left all alone. Verse four helps us to understand what Paul is getting at here. Verse four, take a look at it. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So a true widow is someone who has no children, has no grandchildren, caveat, who will look after her. So, so you may have a woman who's been widowed and her primary means of support, that namely her husband, is no longer able to provide for her. But she has children. But what if they don't provide for her? Well, then she's left all alone. Is it limited to family members? No, not necessarily. Maybe there's an extended friendship where you say, even though you're not a part of my blood family, I'm going to bring you into my house and I'm going to take care of you. The principle is this. If a woman who has lost her husband and needs her husband for any kind of material support can find material support anywhere else starting in her family, she ought to do that before she comes to the church and asks for support. So a true, true widow is, number one, a, a woman who's been left all alone. She has no one who could help her. She has no other recourse, no other, no other person or group of people who can put food on her table, clothes on her back, and a roof over her head. 
A true widow, number two, is a woman who has set her hope on God. And this is important because, again, we're in the care ministry. A true widow in, in this command is someone who's a believer, someone who believes in God, somebody who has set her hope in the gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a true widow. So as the church, if we're looking, who is it that we are to honor? Who is it that we ought to be caring for? It's those among us who legitimately believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. What does this mean? Does this literally mean that before you can help a woman, a widow, she has to pray 10 hours a day and she has to give you her prayer log sheet? Look, I, I've been on my knees this long and they got tired on my knees so I sat down for a little bit. Is that what Paul is saying here? That's not what Paul is saying. He's not looking for a checklist of time given to prayer. What he is saying, and it might be two things. It might be, this is a woman who everyone just knows. She's an active part of the church. Wait, wait, when you look at her, here's a woman who's active in the church. She's actively praying for the well-being of the church. It might also mean that here's a woman who depends entirely on God. She is trusting in God to put food on her table, clothes on her back, and a roof over her head. So let the church not let her down. Because God is going to provide for people who trust in him. How is God going to provide for people who trust in him? Through the church. We are the hands of Christ. And without us, how is God going to provide for those who trust in him? So a true widow is one who's left all alone, has no one else to provide for her, who is a believer. She set her hope on God. She believes in the gospel. Number three, she continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She's active in the church, and she trusts in God to provide for her. And number four is verse six. She who is self-indulgent, though, is dead even while she lives. How do we define this? What does a self-indulgent person look like? Perhaps you've met that person. It's the person that every time the church gathers, it's all about them. You come to a Bible study, and the Bible study doesn't happen because it's all about them. You gather to worship on a Sunday, and the preacher might be able to get through the sermon, but right before and right after the service, it's all about them. They're never giving of their time. They never come and say, how can I serve? They say, give me, give me, give me. And Paul says, don't help those people. You're not helping them if you help them materially. Because what you're doing is you're, you're enabling them. Now, are there times when there are people who are in crisis? Yes, there is. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He's not talking about somebody who has come into crisis and they really do need the Bible study to go to the side for that day. And you put the Bible study aside and it is all about them for that day. That's okay. But what Paul is saying is, is that a matter of life for them? Do you ever get to your Bible study when they show up? When you have a prayer meeting, do you ever pray for anyone or anything else? That's what he's talking about. It's, this is habitual. It's all about me. And Paul says, that's not a true widow, no matter how much her material needs may be. And so you don't help her, and that can be an act of discipline with positive correction. And you say, look, until you can come on board with us, there's nothing we can do for you. Now, the immediate context here then literally is about 
women who have lost husbands, who cannot provide for themselves, who are a part of the church, who trust in God, and they give as much as they take. That's a true widow. Now, in Canada, in 2017, where are these widows? It's really hard to find a, a person in this situation. But let me just say this, that there's a principle here. Paul is, is giving, treating a specific situation because the number one group who needed the help of the church in first century Ephesus were the widows. But the principle underneath this example is this, that the church must help those who cannot help themselves. So this goes far beyond widows. And you see, there's two things that we can do with this text. We can say, well, this is a text about widows, or this is a text about those in need. If we choose option A, that this is a text about widows, we say, well, there's not a lot of widows who need our material help. And then we say, but, but there are widows who need relational help. They need us to, to be there for them as a family. And that is true. And we need to be there for those who have lost their husband uh, to fill in that relational gap. But that's not what this text is about. This text is not about helping widows first and foremost. It's about helping those in need. So while we must look around and say, who is it? Not just those who've lost husbands, but who is it that needs a shoulder to cry on? Who is it that needs a hug? Who is it that needs uh, extra time throughout the week? That's true. And, and all of those groups we need to look at, but this text is about helping those in need. The number one example in first century Ephesus were widows. So the principle here in the instruction number 10 is that we are to help those who cannot help themselves. So what are some examples beyond those who have lost a husband? Well, I think about James 1, 26 and 27. Help widows and orphans, the fatherless. A child can't do anything to help himself or herself. So the church ought to be there. What about sojourners and immigrants? In the Old Testament, the three groups most commonly uh, that Israel was called to help were the widows, the orphans, and the sojourners, those who were refugees. Refugees can't help themselves. New immigrants, often they need a little extra help at the beginning of their time. You're not always. There are many immigrants that come and, and they've got more than enough to support themselves, but sometimes. And so if we're a church that's going to reach out to new Canadians, which I hope that eventually we will, we got to be ready to help them materially as well as spiritually. We don't just share the gospel, but we have to help them to find an apartment. We have to help them to find a job. And in the interim, we have to help them to put food on the table and clothes on their back. There's the poor and the marginalized. Someone who's been homeless for whatever reason and comes to faith and says, you know, South Shore is going to be my home church. I too hope that the Lord will add to our number those who are in downtown Barrie right now. And through the witness of one of you or of me, they will come to faith and we will pick them up at such and such a place every Sunday morning and bring them. And they're going to need some help. So, so this idea, who are the true widows? Anyone who cannot literally provide for himself or herself falls into this category of a true widow. 
Now, we also want to say that we, it, we're not just going out and looking for every needy person. It's, it's people who cannot help themselves, who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who rely on God and don't make everything all about themselves. Any and all true widows must be helped by the church. Take a look at verses 7 and 8. And Paul here summarizes the lesson. Command these things as well. He's referring back, he's, he's said above in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be well trained. He's talking about church governance there. And the whole letter of First Timothy. Here he said, here's some more commands that you must entrust to the church. Command these things to look after those who cannot look after themselves. So that they, that is the church, that is us, may be without, above reproach. Or without reproach. What does this mean? If the church does not look after those in need in the church, anyone from outside of the church says, well, what's the use of being in the church? They, they talk a good game. They talk about loving one another. They, they talk about caring for one another. But look at the people in their midst who are forgotten, who fall through the cracks, who, who have a legitimate need and, and the church isn't helping them. So this becomes a matter of witness to the world. Verse 8, though. But, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So again, Paul goes back and he says, before you just start helping everybody, first of all, look, are there any other support systems, any other support networks that you might plug that person into? Get their own relatives helping them first. There's a flip side to this too, you know. We all talk about uh, wanting our unbelieving mothers, fathers, cousins, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, neighbors. We, we all talk about our unbelieving family and close, close friends. And we just would love for them to come to faith. Let me ask you a question. When your unbelieving relatives and close, close friends are in need... Who's at the front of the line to help them? Is it their pagan friends? Their unbelieving brothers and sisters? When your parents get older and they're, they're aging, who prioritizes their care? Is it the Christian children? Or is it the unbelieving children? That's, it's a challenge, isn't it? If we want our witness to mean anything, we have to take seriously that not only are, are people in our church supposed to look after their own support network, but we have to ask ourselves, whose support network are we? And then we have to be active there first. The application here is pretty simple. If someone is in need, first of all, see if there's a family member that can help. If there's no family member, then the church, as the household of God, must step in to help. And, and really, we're done. That's the whole instruction. But that's not the end of the passage, is it? Uh, but that's what Paul is trying to get at. Now, verses 9 through 16, then, what Paul says is, I, I just can't move on yet to another topic, 
Because I know that the heart of the Christian just wants to help. Uh, the, the heart of the local church is to, to be liberal and free and generous with, with the help that it gives to all of those who are in need. And so Paul actually doubles back. He says, I have to just reiterate for you that there are some people that you are to help, and there's some people that you really shouldn't be helping. And what's the reason for that? It's not that he wants us to be cold, because he's made the point very clear that we must help those who are in need. But he's saying, you must reserve your energy. You must reserve your money. You must reserve your material resources to help those who really, really need the help, and you're of no good to anyone if you burn yourself out on people who don't really need your help. And here's the principle that's maybe going to be hard for us. Not everyone that puts in a request for meals really needs the meals. Not everyone who puts in a request to the official care ministry to help moving really needs the church to organize to help to move. Not everyone who needs to paint their house ought to be contacting our steward of care and saying, I've got five rooms to paint. Could you please sign up some people at the church? Why not? Is it wrong for us to help in that way? No, it's not wrong. What's the problem, though? We might find, after some time of answering many requests for need that are not really need, we're burnt out, and then God sends us somebody who really needs our help. Then what? We're just done. I've got nothing left. Like, I've already made four lasagnas. I've painted three bedrooms. I don't have anything left. Let someone else look after the homeless man that came and joined the church and made a profession of faith. You see? That's why this is so important. We have to be ready to help when the help is needed. I anticipate a yeah, but right now. Yeah, but what about? Am I saying that we can't help one another? Am I saying that I can't call up my good brother Mark and say, you know, Mark, I really need your help chopping down a tree? No. That's not what this is, though. This is an official church organized top down care ministry support. And what this is not negating is that we ought to be in one another's lives and that I should know some need in my church family. You should be aware of somebody who's about to have a baby. And you should be thinking to yourself, how can I help that person to be ready to have that baby? How can I be a blessing without contacting Wayne, our steward of care, and saying, there's a baby coming in eight months. What are you going to do to organize the church to be ready for that baby? Do you see the difference? And so what this is all about is official, program, top-down, church-wide, email-goes-out kind of help. This is not asking you to stop loving one another and helping one another and, and doing good deeds for one another. That's not what this is. So if you have that, yeah, but, just park it to the side and continue to help one another. Um, we're going to answer three questions for the rest of our time. Question number one. Which true widows qualify for long-term church support? 
Now you might say, well, didn't we just already go over that? Yeah, we did. But Paul actually spends the next section of the letter making it even more difficult for true widows to qualify for support. He says, yeah, there may be a true widow, but let's just go one step further. Second question that we're going to look at is, why don't younger widows qualify for long-term church support? Because we're going to see one of the things that you must be is over 60 years of age. Third question is, what do you do if you don't qualify for church support? Let's take a look at these in order, and that will occupy the rest of our time. Uh, Number one, which true widows? So we've already defined true widows. A true widow who's been left all alone, number one, left all alone. Number two, what? Is a believer. Number three, is busy in prayer and supplication, active in the church, trusts in God. And number four, it's not always about them. So which among these true widows ought to qualify for long-term church support? Paul gives three additional requirements. Take a look at uh, verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled. So that means let a widow be put on a list of of women that the church ought to be providing for. And I want us to think material provision here. And really, we're talking about food, clothing, and shelter to begin with. So let a woman receive the support of the church from the top down in an organized way if, number one, she's not less than 60 years of age. Number two, having been the wife of one husband. Number three, having a reputation for good works. These are the three further qualification requirements for a a true widow to receive support. Let's look at these. Number one, uh, in order to support a true widow, she must be no less than 60 years of age. Why does Paul say that? That seems kind of arbitrary, doesn't it? He has two things in mind here. Number one, a woman who is 60 years or older is less likely able to provide for herself by getting a job. It's not impossible, but it's not ideal. Number two, Uh, a woman over 60 years of age is less likely, now I'm going to underline less likely, to get married again. I think it's great when 90-year-old men and women get remarried. There's nothing wrong with that. It's wonderful. But, But women over 60 are less likely to get remarried, and if they do get remarried, they're less likely to have children. It's not Totally impossible with God, but it's less likely. Can we agree with that? It's less likely. So, so it's much less likely for a woman to be able to provide for herself either through a job or by becoming a, a helpmate in the house of, of a husband who wants to have a family. So he says in those cases, the, the main avenues for a woman to provide for herself are less likely to be Uh, achievable. Therefore, the need is heightened. The second further qualification is in verse 9, just halfway through, having been the wife of one husband. Literally, what the Greek says is a one-man woman. And all this is about is that she has demonstrated faithfulness. It doesn't mean that she was only married once, but she was only married to one man at one time. She's not an adulteress. 
She's not known as a woman who has many men on the go. And what's important here is the character quality of faithfulness. The church is supposed to be helping those who are faithful people in their character. They're relying on God. They're faithful. They're going to be faithful to the church. They're not going to make the church's generosity look silly in the eyes of the world. That's what that's all about. And then number 10, having a reputation for good works. So, so when we look at these women, we say, wow, she's an active part of the church, as we've also said. Look at all of the things that she has done. And this is God's retirement plan. She gave of herself in her working years. Now it's time for the church to give back to her. Let her retire, so to speak, and the church will provide for her. And then Paul gives five examples of good works. If she's brought up children. Now, it doesn't mean that, you, that for a woman to receive the help from the church, she has to have had children. Because remember also, the principle here is those who are in need, not just women who have been widowed, but somebody who's brought up children, shown hospitality, someone who's washed the feet of the saints, someone who's cared for the afflicted, someone who has, number five, devoted herself to every good work. So these are just examples that Paul gives. What do you mean that she has um, a reputation for good works? Well, anybody looks at her and says, that's the kind of person that we want to help. That's the kind of person that we want to help. There are kinds of people that we're not supposed to help. And that's where we continue now. Um, transition. Uh, as Paul is fully aware that the impulse of Christian churches is to be gracious in giving, as I said. Now he's going to do probably the most controversial thing in the passage. And he's actually going to tell us who we should not help. Younger women, those under the age of 60, should not qualify for support. So the question is, why don't younger widows qualify for long-term church support? Now, we have to understand, if we're going to do this on the level of principle, is younger widow is a woman under the age of 60. The principle, though, is what? Anybody who can find an alternative means of self-provision. That's what's in view here. The church ought not give long-term support to anyone who has any means of self-provision. So it may be that the church helps for a short time until that person can get back on his or her feet, so to speak. But long-term, you shouldn't help somebody who has a viable option available to them where they can provide for themselves. Paul gives three reasons that the church should not assist those who can provide for themselves. Take a look at verses 11 to 12. Refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Now, we could get into a lot, and I, I just commend this verse to you for your discipleship groups. What, what is he talking about? Refuse to enroll younger women, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so they incur condemnation for, going, uh, for having abandoned their former faith. Uh, this could mean two things. Let me give them to you briefly, and then you can debate this in your discipleship groups. Because at the level of principle, it doesn't really matter that much. Number one, it might be that there are younger women who have said, yeah, I'm committed to the church, because they're going to get provided for, and then some 
unbelieving man in Ephesus comes by and he's got a full wallet and a big house and they say, well, you know, I could stay here in the, in the church and the church is sort of, you know, putting enough food on the table for me. I get oatmeal extravaganza every morning. <laughs> but I could have a lot better breakfast if I married that man. And I don't care that he's not a believer. I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, be with him. That could be that, that. That here's these women who are really only in the church and they're, they're pretending to be active participants, active believers, but really all they really want is not salvation from Christ. They just want the provision of the church. That might be it. Or it might be that there was a practice in Ephesus where in order to get a commitment of material support from the church, the widow had to pledge an oath, almost like a marriage covenant with the church. This would be the, the beginning of the nuns, right? The nunnery, where, where a woman is committed to the church and to the Lord Jesus Christ, and in exchange they're provided for. It might be either of those. And so even if that woman were to marry in the church, she's already pledged herself to the church, and then you have this whole issue of oaths. I mean, that is a sidetrack that we don't need to get into. The main point is this. Their passions draw them away from Christ, and whatever that means. What that means on the level of principle is this, that there will be people who see the generosity of the church and decide to use the church while it suits them. But when a better offer comes along, it doesn't matter that the church has invested one year, five years, 10 years, 15 years in supporting them. They're gone. That's not the kind of person, Paul says, that we ought to be helping. Number two, if you look at verse 13, besides that, so even if a woman doesn't or a person doesn't just take advantage of the church until something better comes along, here's the problem with what we might call early retirement. Verse 13, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house. Here's the problem with um, providing for somebody who could provide for themselves. If you're providing everything that they need, then they've got nothing to do. They don't have a family to look after. They don't have a job that they have to get up and go to. And so while you are providing for all of their needs, they go about from house to house and they start disturbing people who are otherwise busy. And they, they become more of a hindrance in the life of the church than a blessing. And, and they don't use their idleness to benefit the church. They use it to sort of distract the church. And here, here's the problem if you go house to house. What happens if you have all the time in the world on your hands and you go from house to house? Number one, you interrupt the busy affairs of other people. Number two, you become privy to a lot of sensitive information. Every one of us in our weak moments is going to share information if somebody's there to listen. And so you have these, these young widows in, in this case, or anyone in the church that is being provided for, going from house to house, and they catch some one of us in a weak moment. And we complain about our husband, or our wife, or our children. Or we share something vulnerable about ourselves, or we complain about the elders, or we complain about that family in the church, or whatever. And now all of a sudden, this person who has all the time in the world just gathers all this information, and in a moment of weakness for them, poof, out it comes. 
And now we've got church unity issues that we have to deal with. So that's the second reason. Too much time on our hands. God never envisioned us to receive provision without working. And then the third thing, and not only idlers. So if it wasn't bad enough that they might just leave the church when a better offer comes along, or that they have too much time on their hands and they begin to disrupt the unity of the church, not only that, but they might, might become gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. What happens when you have too much time on your hands? Well, I've already said it. What if you don't go house to house? What about Facebook, Instagram? Do we ever gain information and then become busybodies? You know what's really interesting? In addition to who we should support and not support in the church, we have a portrait of a godly woman. That's the, the true widow that we should help. Continues in supplication prayers night and day trusts in the Lord, has a track record of service. That's who we should all aspire to, do, aspire to, men and women. And then we have idlers who are looking to get a handout from the church, who waste their time in the time of the church, stir up division, say things that they shouldn't say. Now, which group do you want to aspire to be? Paul says, you help the first group. But you don't, uh, you don't help and um, empower the second group. That's what he's saying. So there's character qualities that come into play. We're not just supposed to help anyone and everyone. So Paul gives this provision, leads us to our last questions. What do you do then if you don't qualify for church support? Paul gives us an answer in verse 14. I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. The solution is easy. If you don't qualify for church support, go to work. In one way or another. In our cultural context, it may be that a woman has to go back to work. Maybe she had a husband that was providing for herself or for her, and, and he's no longer in the picture. She may have to go back to work. Or in the original context, it meant get remarried. Get remarried and, and help a man in the home by raising his children, by helping in the home front, and then he will provide for you. Whatever it is, if you don't qualify for support, Seek a network of support for yourself. Now, there's a lot of information here. There's a lot of sort of answering who to help and not to help. Altogether, it means this. And, and, and this is really the point. The church must be ready to help those who cannot help themselves. That's where Paul lands in verse 16. He goes back to the main point after this uh, long aside, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. And, and that's exactly the point that we've been saying all along. Let the church not be burdened. So before you call Wayne Brown and ask him to organize the church to help you, you have to ask yourself, am I unnecessarily by this request, burdening the church. 
Do I have any other means of support? Do I have a family member that could help me move my house, paint that room, make meals that I can freeze for when I have a child? If you don't have anyone, contact the church through our care steward. But if there's any other means of support, let the church not be burdened. And again, as I said, this does not mean that I hope to see that we don't care for one another anymore, but let, it, let the organic nature of our loving and caring one another uh, precede all else. What then are the implications for us? Well, I've already spelled them out. But let me just give you three quick points. Family first. Family first. Before you look outside for help from anywhere or anyone, is there someone in your family that can help you? Number two, one another second. So organic helping of one another. Phone someone in the church. Phone someone in your discipleship group. Let your needs be known to one another without troubling the elders, without troubling our care steward, without necessarily calling your pastor. There's times where I hope you do call me, but not for everything. Number three, care ministry third. Care ministry third. When you have no family to help, when you're getting nowhere by calling individuals in the church, if it's a long-term need that requires long-term support, you can find it from us here at South Shore Bible Church. See, all of this is a response to the cross of Christ. Christ has already met our deepest needs. And by his cross, he has brought us into one family, one household. And so there will be no one at South Shore who falls through the cracks, who has a legitimate need. And that need will not be met. Because the 10th instruction to, to the church is this. Help those who cannot help themselves. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we sort this out. Help us to love one another and to continue to help one another in the day-to-day -day, uh, life and the struggles that we have, whether they be material or relational or spiritual. But Lord, let us be ready for the day when you send us someone truly in need. I pray that we would have the money the energy, and the time to help those who cannot help themselves. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.